This is a true crime podcast. It contains adult themes and content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You lost all constitutional rights the moment you walked through that door. When the judge sat down there, I said you to 10 years at the Idaho State Penitentiary. You walked in that door, you was a number. And the inmate understood that. If you're out there, there's a passenger, you'll be in here to lay down the door. Those inmates that were here in the institution during the next execution, it had an impression on them that maybe it was still with them to some extent. Maybe they don't think about it anymore, but it, it had a, an impression on them, I'm sure. They wouldn't let me out until I get back to the stuff. <laughs> Seven months later, I get back to them. That was one of the one of the problems we ran into. You had five or six guys that were sitting in a place, smoking a joke and a drinking coffee. Pretty quick, they'd hatched a plan in there to... to get under your skin some way or, or try to figure a way out. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Behind Gray Walls, a podcast about the old Idaho State Penitentiary and the men and women who are incarcerated here. My name's Anthony. I'm talking to Sky. How you doing, Sky? I am so good. I am through all <laughs> of my classes and all of my exams and all of my presentations, and now literally the only thing I have left in my PhD program is is my dissertation research and writing. So things are moving along. Oh, that's so exciting. Congrats. Thank you. It's wild. <laughs> um, but how are you? Good. You know, um, we had our first real meeting with our reimagining team for the old Idaho Penitentiary last week, and it went really well. And the people that are in our group to, to help reinterpret the site and create a new visitor experience like it was just really amazing to get so many people together so hopefully everybody's going to have a brand new visitor experience at the old pen within the next couple years and you'll probably hear me talk about it more and more as this process continues so wow yeah super excited no that was happening that's so exciting yeah yeah <laughs> Well, Sky, what are we talking on the episode today? So today's episode, it's going to be pretty short, pretty sweet, but it has some very important information, and we're going to be talking about the early mining in the Idaho Territory. So the sources for the mining information in this episode, and then the sources for all the territorial and mining information in the coming episodes come from a whole group of sources. So bear with me as I read them out. So a whole bunch of them came from... Uh, the Idaho State Historical Society reference series, and these are the particular documents that I looked at if you would like to go look for yourself. So they were the Elias Davidson Pierce and the founding of Pierce, Idaho's Mining History, JPG, it's an image, Mining in Idaho, Placer Mining Methods, J. Marion Moore, Idaho Mining Pioneer, 1830-1868, The Owyhee Country, Rocky Bar Mines, Idaho Gold Production, Idaho Silver Production, Territorial Government in Idaho, 1863-1869, to Idaho's First Year, 1863-1864, to Location of Idaho's Territorial Capital, Idaho Territorial Prison, Constitutional Convention and Ratification, Idaho Since Statehood, 1890-1965, to Description of the Idaho State Seal by Emma Edwards Green, the Designer, Idaho Indian Treaty Lands, and lastly, Caleb Lyons Statehood Scheme. So many of those. So definitely go check out the reference series. Then 
an article called What is Placer Gold Mining from NPS.gov, articles from IdahoGoldMining.com and WesternMiningHistory.com, the Encyclopedia Britannica on Placer Deposit and Ballotpedia of the General Mining Law of 1872, which will get talked about throughout the episodes, an article called Legacy of Hate, Idaho's Confederate Connection by Frankie Barnhill on Boise State Public Radio News, and then a an article called The Lower Boise Historical Marker, Confederates in Idaho from Clio.com. An article titled The 43rd State, Idaho Marks 130 Years Since Gaining Statehood by Chase Byfelt on KTVB.com. Articles titled Murder Mystery on the Trail of Long Buried Clues by David Johnson from the Lewiston Tribune, 1992. An article titled Packer Lloyd Magruder and Others Murdered on Nez Perce Trail from South Fork Companion Blog. And then a title called The Corridor of Conflict in Land Use Named for Victim of Black Deed by Dick Deesom, which was from the Idaho Statesman in January 1st, 1967. Then HMDB, which is Historical Marker Database about a historical marker of Murray in Shoshone County, Idaho. An article, Mining in Idaho from PerpetuaResources.com and then Mining in Idaho from TheDiggings.com. An article called Idaho is Sitting on One of the Most Important Elements on Earth by Michael Holtz from The Atlantic Magazine, January 24th, 2022. And then finally, Wikipedia pages on Placer Mining, Pierce, Idaho, Hydraulic Mining, William H. Wallace, Caleb Lyon, David Wesley Ballard, the Democratic Party, Assay Office, Assay Office Boise ID, General Mining Act of 1872, Homestead Strike, 1899 Coeur d'Alene Labor Confrontation, and Edward A. Stevenson. So, lots of sources. My apologies, but important. Lots of sources. Important to get all of that information in there. <laughs> Four minutes of sources. <laughs> Seriously. Though. That's always a good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... <laughs> Mining is perhaps one of Idaho's biggest legacies and industries, especially through the 1930s. Most of Idaho's mineral production between 1860 and 1969 came from metals, namely gold and silver. $2,880,000,000 out of the $3,420,000,000. Other major minerals that brought in money included lead, zinc, mercury, and copper, along with a few others. At various points in the territories and the state's history, Metals pulled out of what is currently Idaho lands made up between 5% and 20% of the U.S. gold production. The major production regions in the state were Coeur d'Alene, far and away the leading region in the state, especially of silver, the Boise Basin, Wood River, and Owyhee. The gold mineral rush in Idaho territory pulled in so many gold miners from California Gold Rush in 1849 that they often named streams, rivers, and tributaries after corresponding geological features in California including the Feather and Yuba Rivers. Mining seriously began in what is now the state of Idaho in 1860 when Elias Davidson, also known as E.D. Pierce, discovered gold on the North Fork of the Clearwater River in north-central Idaho. According to the Idaho State Historical Society reference series, Pierce was a native Irishman who immigrated to the United States in 1839, where he settled in Harrison, Virginia, now West Virginia, before moving to Indiana in 1844. Though he briefly studied law, he enlisted as a volunteer to serve in the Mexican-American War, which was fought between April 1846 and February 1848. He then followed hundreds of thousands of prospectors to Northern California in 1849 during the famous California Gold Rush. 
Though he mostly traveled about California as an itinerant trader, he briefly served in the California House of Representatives in 1852. After joining a former Hudson Bay Company trapper in a trading expedition to Nez Perce Indian Territory, he met and spent time with a notable Nez Perce, Wislanaqua. Unable to make inroads until the end of 1858, when Indian hostilities to the north ended, he was finally able to get a prospecting outfit into Wislanaqua's camp in January 1860, and in February, the company went panning with Wislanaqua on the north fork of the Clearwater and found gold. Believing he was on the edge of a gold mining region in what is now northern Idaho, but at the time was Washington Territory, he, quote, became obsessed, end quote, with opening the region for mining. Understandably, however, Nez Perce's opposition to mining on their lands was fierce, and many settlers around Walla Walla believed that any trespass of miners on the Nez Perce reservation would provoke war. On August 12, 1860, Pierce secretly led 12 men across the reservation, where their presence was illegal through a treaty, taking six weeks for a trip that would normally take one week. The group tired and discouraged, finally reached Canal Gulch on September 30, 1860, striking gold on Orofino Creek during a week of prospecting. The town of Pierce, Idaho was founded on December 3, 1860, and mining in Idaho was officially open. The technique used in the earliest years of mining in Idaho was called placer mining. Placer mining, also called dredge mining, is, quote, the practice of separating heavily eroded materials from sand or gravel, end quote, and relies on the principle that gold is heavier than sand and rock in order to extract the metals from the water. A placer deposit is caused by erosion of a mineral vein through the weathering process, after which the heavy metal particles are washed downstream where they become concentrated in deposits. The simplest technique for placer mining is panning, which was also the most common in the 1849 California gold rush. So when you picture the 49ers, you are probably picturing panning in placer mines. There's a lot of peas right there. My goodness. <laughs> Jeez. The same principle could be used on a much larger scale with a sluice box, which had riffles on the bottom to trap gold particles as water and small pebbles and other minerals rushed through. A rocker box, which was open on top and one end and placed on rockers, also had riffles on the bottom, and different sieves through which smaller particles of rock and gravel would be filtered out, so that the heavy particles of gold would be left on the bottom. Much larger operations were obviously required for companies and investment mining, which would become more common in the years that followed the Pierce find in 1860. Hydraulic mining, used in Idaho starting in 1863 after its success in the 1849 California Gold Rush, used high-pressure jets of water to erode gravel and wash entire hillsides through enormous sluices. As hopeful miners rushed to Pierce for the Clearwater Gold Rush, a long, late, and wet spring made large-scale mining difficult in early 1861. By June, several thousand unemployed gold hunters struggled to find work. Some found work when the season finally got underway and some went about 100 miles south where gold was discovered at the South Fork of the Clearwater at Elk City and Newsom. By late August, between 800 and 1,000 miners were at Elk City, but in mid-August, rich placers were found even further south at Florence where, by November, some miners were taking out hundreds of dollars a day. As nearly 10,000 miners rushed to Florence by spring 1863, the original rush to Elk City died out. As Florence proved incapable of providing work to well over half of the miners who tried to find work there, some miners returned to Elk City, but gold production rates in Elk City remained low until the early 1900s with quartz mining. Production in Florence, by contrast, flourished, reaching about $50,000 in 1862, but became overworked within a year. 
Though there was some considerable quartz mining in later years, nothing compared to 1862, and Florence turned out about $9,600,000 worth of gold in its history. So much gold. Wow. Between 1860 and the end of 1862, population and mining districts in what is now the state of Idaho began to warrant the formation of a new county in eastern Washington Territory, led by mining pioneer J. Marion Moore. Born John N. Moore in Tennessee, J. Marion Moore was sent to the Washington legislature as a council member of Walla Walla County to watch over their interests. He began to push the legislature to divide the Washington Territory along the north-south Cascade Mountain Range. Though his first proposal was defeated, as the gold and mineral boom in the Boise Basin threatened to take political control away from Puget Sound, Washington territorial officials eventually agreed, lobbying Congress to establish a new territory to keep the Boise Basin from taking power from the Washington territorial government. Congress organized the Idaho Territory on March 3, 1863, which was signed into law by Abraham Lincoln. President Lincoln named William Henson Wallace, previous governor of Washington Territory, as the first governor of the Territory of Idaho. Wallace decided to organize the new temporary territorial government in Lewiston, near his Puget Sound home, but was immediately faced with major challenges. First, because the territory was established on the last day of the congressional session, no money had been allotted for Idaho's government. Soon, he realized that massive mountain ranges divided the territory into three widely separated sections, with nearly half of the territory's population of 32,000 people in the Boise Basin, and 12,000 of the remaining were in mining camps in the area that would become Montana a year later. He also recognized that well over half the population would be dissatisfied with his choice of territorial capital. Before he had to face the consequences, however, he was elected as delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives from the Idaho Territory, and he left the territory in the hands of Secretary W.B. Daniels until Caleb Lyon took over in 1864. In November 1864, when the second legislator assembled in Lewiston, northern Idaho members tried to avoid locating a permanent territorial capital by asking Congress to create a new Idaho Territory composed of northern Idaho and eastern Washington leaving southern Idaho to make its own decisions. However, the population in northern Idaho was so small compared to the southern districts that they had barely any power whatsoever. Under Governor Lyon, the territorial capital would be moved from Lewiston to Boise in a way that some Idahoans viewed as less than above board. For more details of this possibly illegal move, please listen to episode 51, Lopez and St. Cyr. In these first years of the territory, conflicts with Native Americans began to escalate. Up north, the Nez Perce tribe signed a treaty that greatly reduced the size of their reservation, as the U.S. government asked them to open their land to white settlement, partially to cover up the fact that several mining towns had been illegally established on Nez Perce land. A treaty with the Flathead, Kootenay, and Upper Ponderé tribes was signed in 1855, while 1863 saw the signing of several treaties because of the establishment of the new territory, with the Eastern Shoshone and Northwestern Shoshone both in July, and with the Western Shoshone and the Fort Hall Shoshone and Bannock both in October. Further concerns about conflict with the natives led to the building of a military fort at Camp Connor at Soda Springs and, on July 4, 1863, Fort Boise. Only three days later, the Boise town site was laid out near the fort. Boise was incorporated as a town in December 1864. 1864 was a crucial year in terms of the incorporation of even more towns and cities and of mining production in the new territory. 
According to ISHS reference series document, $8 million worth of gold, $134 million in 2021, and a much lower amount of $140,000, $2.35 million in 2021, of silver was produced out of Idaho mines and placers. As the territory's mines were surging, the territorial government was floundering. Secretary William B. Daniels served as acting governor until February 1864, when Lincoln appointed Caleb Lyons as the newest territorial governor. Lyon, however, did not arrive in Lewiston until the fall of 1864, and did few favors for the people of the territory. Hoping to return to the United States Senate, on which he had served between 1853 and 1855, he believed getting statehood for Idaho would help him achieve his goal. According to H.C. Street, who published a Democratic newspaper in Idaho City, Lyon, who was a Republican, tried to pass a slew of bills in the second legislative session which would leave political control in the hands of the territory's Republicans, even though Idaho leaned Democratic. If these bills had all passed, Lyon planned to call a constitutional convention to seek admission as a state into the Union, after which Lyon would secure his seat in the Senate. Somehow, however, Lyon did not foresee the second session Democrats throwing out all the Republican bills. In 1865, Lyon was thrown out of the territorial government as he was against massacring Indians, a stance with which many of his fellow Republicans did not agree. Upon leaving the territory, he ironically absconded with $46,000 worth of federal funds intended for the Nez Perce people, fleeing to Staten Island, New York. He never returned to the Idaho Territory again. The Idaho Territorial Government remained in complete disarray until the appointment of David Wesley Ballard as Territorial Governor by President Andrew Johnson. When Ballard arrived, the government was still reeling from Lyons' mismanagement and the bitter division over the decision to move the territorial capital from Lewiston to Boise. He also had to clean up the mess of the territory's finances after Territorial Secretary and Acting Governor Horace C. Gilson embezzled about $42,000, nearly all of the territory's money. Under Ballard, however, the Territorial Supreme Court was organized and the Idaho Territory would have a government for the rest of its history. <laughs> thankfully. Yes, yes, thankfully. <laughs> the Owyhee Avalanche, the newspaper in Silver City, Idaho, regularly posted poems, many of which referring to the life of early pioneers and miners in the region. This poem appeared on Saturday, April 15, 1871, titled The Miner's Lot. I dive into the deepest pit, you tremble where I stay, and through the rocks and glittering ore my arm must break its way. I cannot breathe the summer air, nor see the roses blow, no scent of flowers can meet me there, no freshness where I go. Though every element declare that death's at every turn, I fear no dark abyss if but my little lamp should burn. Nor do I fear the threatening cliff, precipitous o'erhead, nor yet the wild and gushing stream that tears its rocky bed, nor yet the blue and ghastly flame from which comes poisoned breath, blown out to bring us suddenly into the jaws of death. I boldly bore into the hill and split the hardest rock. God grant the grace I light the match and wait the dreadful shock. I boldly dig from mountain depths the vein that lightened dearth, and bring from out the rocky gulfs the marrow of the earth. How beautiful at first, but soon we see an idol rising. They worship it, forgetting us and God himself despising. 
I open many a golden load and many a silver vein, and when the rich take up the prize, what think you is my gain? Stiff rheumatism in my limbs, and oft a beggar's stave, dry bread with a little butter, but oft an early grave. True, many a miner passes by, weeps when he sees my end, and having blessed my ashes says, rest well, rest well, my friend. So glimmer on, my little lamp, for certain soon or late, with many a brave and noble man, the grave will be my fate. The year of 1864 also saw the territories and eventually states first executions on March 4, 1864. Lloyd Magruder was a packer and entrepreneur hailing from Maryland. Having served in the Mexican-American War and trying his hand at gold mining in the California Gold Rush, he moved to Lewiston, Idaho in 1862, where he established a store and a pack mule train. In August 1863, Magruder took his mules east from Elk City on the South Nez Perce Trail toward Virginia City, Montana. A couple months after arriving in Virginia City in October 1863, Magruder, with $12,000 in gold dust, started back for Lewiston. His party included teamsters and guards he had hired, William Page, James Romaine, David Renton, and D.C. Lauer, But, per the Idaho Statesman in 1967, they, quote, failed miserably as guards, end quote. One evening, on the journey home, the party camped, quote, at a spot where the trail passed between a black cliff and a steep drop, end quote. Magruder and Lauer drew the sun down to midnight watch over the animals. Lauer brought an axe to the watch, claiming he was going to use it to clear brush on the pasture. Instead, he, along with Romaine and Renton, smashed Magruder in the head several times with axes, slaughtering four other innocent members of the party as well. They wrapped the bodies in blankets and rolled them over the cliff, set fire to the camp, shot most of the mules, took Magruder's gold dust, and rode to Lewiston on a different trail. One of Magruder's friends, Hill Beachy, who owned the Luna House Hotel in Lewiston, became concerned when Magruder did not return in a reasonable time. When the four strangers rolled into town, and he learned that one of their horses had belonged to Magruder, his fears were confirmed. Though the four tried to escape to California, Beachy wired authorities, and they were arrested upon landing in San Francisco. William Page confessed and turned state's witness, while the other three were convicted of first-degree murder. Romaine, Renton, and Lauer were hanged on March 4, 1864, in a ravine near Lewiston. As we know, it would take another eight years for the territory to get a prison where the rest of the territories and states' executions would take place. You know what's so interesting about all this is that Hill Beachy actually contributed to the time capsule here at the territorial prison. Did he really? He did. He included a little business card about his railroad business because he had a stage line that went from Boise south through Nevada. And he had other stage lines in, in the in the northwest and down in California throughout his life. But besides running this this Luma house, he also had this um, the stage line, which is kind of interesting that he connects directly to our site. Look at us. Gold discoveries kept coming, next in 1866 when placers were found in Leesburg in central eastern Idaho, setting off the Lemhi County Gold Rush. The name of Leesburg reveals an interesting history about the Idaho Territory. 
It was a haven for many former Confederate soldiers after they lost the Civil War. Leesburg was named after, of course, the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. During the gold rush in the Boise Basin, ex-Confederates settled and named Atlanta, Grayback, Gulch, and Stanley. Named after Confederate Captain John Stanley. President Lincoln was so concerned with ex-Confederates flocking to the Idaho Territory that, just one day after the Battle of Gettysburg ended, he sent Union soldiers to Fort Boise to prevent a new South from forming. The Confederate sympathies in the territory were so strong that when the territory was admitted as part of the Union, its government was controlled by Democrats. Remember, the stances of the Democrats and Republicans switched in the 20th century. Democrats in the 1800s believed that central government was the enemy of individual liberty, among other tenets which we would now associate with Republicans. Much like the rest of the country, the territory was plagued with sectional divides, and many Republicans in Idaho found themselves facing the same kind of violent threats that many Republicans faced in the South during Reconstruction. Republicans would gain control of the territory during the 1882 elections. Hopefully this gives you a basic idea of what the first decade of territorial mining was like. But don't worry, we've got more history about mining and the Idaho Territory coming. Be sure to listen to each episode, which will give specific details of mining in each county, as well as an episode at the end of the season that will cover the last two decades before statehood. Stay tuned and remember, do your own time. Do your own number. If you enjoyed Behind Gray Walls, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Not only do we get to hear your feedback about the show, but it helps others find us as well. If you're interested in finding out more about the podcast and to see mugshots of the inmates featured in today's episode, follow our Facebook group at Behind Gray Walls Podcast. We have a podcast Instagram as well. You can find us on Instagram at Behind Gray Walls Pod.